What's up, guys? I'm EJ. I'm joined by Kendall. Thank you all for checking out this edition of the Uncommitted Podcast, Episode 8. It's been a little bit of a while since we've done a, an Uncommitted Podcast talking high school hoops, but as you guys know, I think this is probably one of the best places you'll find conversations about college basketball recruiting, whether it be on YouTube or anywhere. And Kendall, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. A lot has happened, not just you know over the past several months, but we've been on a mini hiatus while we've been doing other uh, content, particularly superhero stuff. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff happening over the last few weeks, you know. So this is a, a great time, I think, to get on to do another uh, uncommitted podcast. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it was it was always we've been talking about doing an episode of the Uncommitted EJ for the past you know two months, mm-hmm. um, pretty much since the season ended. But the it was really when the tournament started, we were talking about oh, should we do one before the tournament? Should we do one after the tournament? And then, but the problem that we kept running into was that the transfer portal has been so chaotic. And so it would, there never felt like a good time to do it. There were so many great times to do it because it's like, oh man, this guy committed and this guy just transferred and this guy, this coach just left and this coach just got hired. But um, we realized we should probably sit back, let everything kind of play itself out. It's still not done, which we'll talk about later in this, in this show. There's still plenty of, plenty of storylines that uh, still need to unfold. But now felt like a pretty decent time to kind of recap all of the chaos that has been this college basketball offseason, uh, as well as preview the rest of the chaos become this uh, <laughs> this offseason. Yeah, yeah, because as you said, even though uh, a lot has a dust, a lot of dust has settled. Not all of the dust has settled. There's plenty of storylines still to play out, and we'll get to a lot of some of the stuff happening uh, in regards to you know the impact on college basketball next season. But I want to talk about the top high school player heading into next high school season in Monty Bates because he had a pretty eventful weekend um, during the last weekend of April. So, uh, like I said, it was very eventful. Uh, Monty Bates, 22, 2022, number one player, Phenom, uh, had what observers would maybe consider a subpar showing at the Midwest Mania High School Tournament that happened just a couple of weeks ago where in some way he was outshined by uh, another top 2022 prospect, Jalen Duran. Mount Bird Academy, those guys actually had their teams play against each other, and Duran, who's a 6'10 center, was actually guarding Bates in those games and did a really good job uh, defending him and perhaps maybe uh, displayed some weaknesses in, in Bates' game that he's got to continue to improve on. And then following that, showing that weekend, Bates also then decommitted from Michigan State, which I feel like, you know, I need, you know, the, the everybody who may have thought that this Michigan State thing was going to happen I think they all got to eat a lot of crow because, you know, when we did this show, uh, maybe in the last time, or it wasn't the last time, it was a couple times prior to that when he made the commitment. I said, I don't think there's any way this is going to stick. And as, as yeah. we see now, it hasn't stuck. So the early indication is that a lot of people think he may be eyeing the pros, but then there's report of interest in Texas, interest in Tennessee. Memphis has offered a scholarship. So we still got a lot of uh, a lot of, of situations to play out with Bases recruitment. Uh, which of these do you think are the bigger headline? Do you think his off weekend playing at Mid- Midwest Media was more of a story? Or do you think the decommitment? <laughs> was funny. Um, I saw there were Michigan State fans that a lot of them took this as, oh, well, whatever. You know, we didn't need him. You know, he would never come here anyway. I mean, first of all, I'm like, that's not what they were saying when he committed. Just, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, 100. 
But second of all, it's like, yeah, we lost, you know, the guy who, who's the next KD and the, supposed to be the next LeBron just decommitted and we're just shrugging our shoulders. I mean, I don't yeah, know. we'll be we'll okay. Be, it's like, uh, I don't know about that, fan. Yeah, a little bit strange. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll recover. They'll, they'll certainly be fine, but it, it is a blow. Um, look, I mean, I think the bigger story to me has to be the the matchup between him and Jalen Duran. That's not to say that about Imani Bates that he's not, you know, going to be, you know, an NBA player or he's not uh, a one-and-done or he's not a lottery pick or he's not a top-five pick. Um, but just that the gap between Imani Bates and the rest of the class of 2022 um, is not as big as, as, as has been advertised. Um, you know, I think that weekend, I think, showed us what were what some of the things that the pandemic affected when it came to grassroots basketball, where you had a player in Jalen Duran. Now, look, people, I mean, he's been on the radar. It's like nobody's ever heard of Jalen Duran. He, he was a star in Philly, played at Roman Catholic High School, and decided to transfer uh, to Montverde and was dominant. Won the uh, Geico Nationals uh, this season at, at Montverde. But you know, we didn't have any AAU basketball last summer, for the most part. Um, so all of the Imani Bates is way above, way ahead of everyone else in his class conversations is based almost entirely on two AAU summers ago, and then high school stuff. And that's that's not how it's that's not how the game has typically been evaluated. So there's just so many guys like a Jalen Duran, who's obviously improved his game. Um, you know, there's other guys in the class of 2022 that people are certainly intrigued by. Dariq Whitehead's another kid in that plays at Mount Verde, another kid from, from the Northeast that people are intrigued by. There are other guys in the class of 2022 that are going to be one-and-done guys that could play for the G League Ignite, could go to Australia if they want to, like, there's a lot of NBA prospects in that class, just like there are every class, but this is particularly going to be one of the better classes um, that we've seen, which is why there have been so many people intrigued by that 2020, 2022 NBA draft, assuming that these guys would be guys that can come straight out of high school, on, on top of the Chad Holmgren guys. Um, you know, we don't know if that rule is going to change, but this is a, it's, a, it's a very good class, and the conversation has been almost solely on... Imani Bates, not to mention Victor Wembanyama, you know, the big man out of France who's not, I mean, if you're talking NBA, like, he, he might be the number one prospect in that in that class. But, um, you know, that there's just been so much missed basketball from a scouting perspective that uh, the narrative has, has gone on for so long that Bates uh, is just far and away the guy. Um, I mean, there, there's been a narrative he's the best player in high school basketball, which I feel like I said early on in this podcast that, you know, or in one of our YouTube videos, that it's, it's just not that was, when people were saying that when Kate Cunningham and Jalen Green were still in high school, that Imani Bates is the best player in high school basketball. I just I couldn't say that about a kid that was 15. That's unfair expectations on that guy and unfair pressure on that guy. It's you got to have an honest evaluation, and the honest evaluation is he's got areas to improve, but you know he has a talent. Um, he's got a skill level that is. Uh, uncanny for, for his for his size and for his age, um, but he's got areas to improve, just like a lot of players. Uh, so look, I think that was the, the headline. I mean, Bates decommitting 
probably, like you said, it ends up being where in the, you know, the buck kind of, you know, ended up where we expected it to end up. Um, the question is, do we take anything from teams like Texas, Tennessee, and Memphis offering scholarships? Is that them uh, feeling like they seriously have a shot at getting him? You know, Jeff Goodman put out the report that Bates uh, was, con- there's mutual interest between Texas and Bates. Uh, I would assume there's mutual interest, or at least interest, from every team, every college program in the country. You might be Bates, whether or not it's mutual. Uh, I guess that's the that's the uh, that's the newsworthy thing. But I don't think Goodman had to say mutual. I think we knew that Texas was interested. But regardless, uh, you know that 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 is an interesting thing as well. Can Texas obviously a new coaching staff? So uh, with Chris Beard now, which we'll talk, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. But yeah, to me, I think the news is. Uh, Jalen Durant, who just, I mean, God, the guy looks like he's, he's you know, just chiseled from, yeah. from you I mean, know. He, he looks like Dwight Howard. He looks like Dwight Howard. Yeah, he, he and, and I don't like mean, I don't Dwight mean high school Dwight Howard. I mean, he looks like he looks, <laughs> Dwight Howard, like, made his second year in the league. Like, he looks like Dwight Howard. Right. Um, it, it's, it's scary. Yeah, it is. Uh, like, to me, I, I think the bigger headline is still the decommitment. I, I do feel like Look, I think you made great points about the fact that we didn't have AU ball uh, last year, and the high school season we had was almost really not one. Like, you know, some teams didn't play, some teams did. There were fake schools playing. It wasn't real high school basketball. So, um, you know, when you talk, made the point about how, you know, we made the assessment of Bates being number one, you know, really three years ago. But, you know, for, for right now, it's based off of basically stuff from last summer. We got to remember that, uh, you know, O.J. Mayo in his junior year was the next Kobe Bryant. And yep. he was going to be – he was the number one player by far, nobody close. And then uh, a young guard from Chicago started lighting it up in, in his yeah. AAU circuit and in his high school senior year. And by the time he got to uh, the end of the season, it wasn't O.J. Mayo who was the number one player coming out of high school that year. It was Derrick Rose. And yeah. it's not to say that Bates isn't a stud. I think he is. He's a like again a guy with his size and scoring ability and shooting touch. They're just almost unseen. Like they, they just aren't many kids like that. Uh, the rain. Yeah, the rain. I mean, the guy can shoot from thirty right. feet out like easily. Like it, he's a special player. I'm not dissing him in any way. Uh, but I think that is a good point that we you know a lot of these other guys who also may have been working on their games. The fact that he didn't have a real high school season and real, uh, uh, you know, games, you know, uh, 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 you know, game experience during these, during this pandemic, you know, maybe and not say his game slipped, but maybe the, the growth that you would expect maybe didn't happen as much as we would have uh, hoped for. But with that being said, you know, he's still a superstar. I mean, I think he's still, uh, the presumptive number one pick for yeah. about two years from now, though that's still way too early to start talking about that stuff. I think, if anything, this weekend was more of a wake-up call to maybe not just be calling every great young kid the next LeBron. It's just LeBron's a special athlete and and, and a Hall of Fame of the Hall of Fame. You know, like he's elite-level uh, basketball player, and we, you know, we shouldn't just be throwing his name out for anybody. Bates is special, but let the kid continue to grow and improve on his game, and let's maybe temper some of the expectations. I think the decommitment is interesting only because Bates... If, if, if pro ball really is leading the clubhouse right now in regards to where he's going to go, I mean, 
this would be obviously the biggest win for the G League if we're assuming we're, if we're assuming it's the G League, uh, and, and you know maybe a real tug of war where if somehow NCA loses out to G League for Imani Base, the the one guy that everyone wants to see play college ball, uh, more so than any young guy that's been coming out of high school for the last four or five years. If that guy chooses G League over NCAA, do not be surprised if that becomes the uh, the the motivation to get whatever NIL do done to just get that out the way. I think that that might be the tipping point where if we can't provide this kind of our what we provide is universities, the, the exposure, the, the TV deals, the, uh, the marketability. We can't provide that to him. And he says G League is the better option. I, I do not be surprised if the, the next season, because, you know, the NIL gets signed. Because, you know, I know Florida was supposed to go through. Well, and all of a sudden, it got pulled for some random reason. Nobody seems to know why. People on both sides of the aisle are upset. The NCAA is slow walking this thing as much as they can. If that happens, they will not slow walk it anymore. Because that would be a catastrophe. If the best player, arguably since LeBron James, that, that these people are saying, decides that I'm not going to play in college, you know, I have to. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to because of this one-and-done deal, I'm going to play in the G League. That would be a disaster. Well, somebody ask Master P, because Master P seems to have a source that's telling him that this deal is going to be done in August, because he claims that his son, Hersey Miller, who you know played at Minnehaha with Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren, just committed to, tech, to Tennessee State. Shout-out uh, to the HBCUs out there. Uh, Hersey Miller, and Hersey Miller could have played anywhere. You know, he's a really good player. But he decided to go to Tennessee State. Master P came out and said, I got a million-dollar endorsement deal lined up for my son once this NIL gets signed in August. We're ready to sign it in August. And people were like, August? You know, when is that? When, when do we know? Do, do we know something? Does he know something that we don't? But It's possible. Um, like, first of all, Master P yeah. is very, he's an exceptional businessman. And business people tend to know as we talked about like we know with LeBron going to the Lakers we talk about all the time that example of how like business people and Hollywood people knew it, it years before yeah. I guess we were convinced it was going to happen like man Master P he, he has the connections to know if this That's is going to go down I just know you know there was a strong push for Florida to just sign their deal like yesterday and yeah. all of a sudden it just like disappeared and again like now, I said, people on both sides of the aisle were like what the hell happened you know so I think there's some yeah. there are some figures that are still trying to slow walk this thing. And again, I'm telling you right now, if somehow they don't have this thing signed and base decides I'm going to the G League, this this thing's gonna be a wrap. The and that's G why I think Ignite, this is a big deal. The G League Ignite situation is interesting. Because when you look at what happened this season, obviously they didn't play a normal season. They didn't expect to have the G League Ignite being played, you know, in a bubble, playing 15, 20 games in a, in a month span, and that's it. But I can't say it was a roaring success for guys like Jalen Green, Don Dukuminga. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a failure, but from an exposure standpoint... It, it didn't raise their profile on any level. Yeah, it didn't, really, it didn't raise their profile on any level. Um, didn't really raise their draft stock. Yeah, it didn't level. raise their draft stock, I agree. You know, like guy, a guy like Jalen Suggs passed Jalen Green, not because Jalen Green looked terrible. Like he played pretty good, but he just got passed because just, just the, the momentum. Yeah, he was hitting half court shots in, in Final Four games yeah, where millions of people like, are watching. You know, I'm sorry, Jalen like, Green playing a, a Tuesday afternoon no game 
Jalen Green playing Tuesday afternoon on NBA TV or NBA.com. He's just not getting and, that kind and, of exposure. It's, it's about, yeah, it isn't gonna isn't gonna get people excited. So the and again, it's not gonna be like that next year, but even if you're not in the Disney bubble, playing in Delaware against the seventy the whatever they are, the sixty sixers or whatever they call, like that is not I don't know how if that's exciting in money debate. So right now the the NBA has a re, they had a real crossroads when it comes to the G League Ignite. Um they just got uh, Fang Zembo, kid from Gonzaga who decommitted, went to the G League. They just got Michael Foster, five star from from Georgia. You know, Michael Foster is more akin to the Isaiah Todd from last year. You know, not like a guy who we expect to be a top five, top ten pick necessarily. Um, could be, you know, I mean, when you're a top fifteen, top twenty recruit, like you could be a top ten pick, but not like a consensus guy. Um, I like we a lot of people expect Jaden Hardy to end up in the G League, and if that happens, now you do have a guy who is legitimately a top three, uh, you know, NBA draft prospect. But they need they need a a, a face. They had Jalen Green this year, and they had Kuminga, two guys that were that top five kind of guy, um, and it didn't really it wasn't the slam dunk that they hoped. Uh, so right now, you know, I mean, Imani Bates wouldn't be able to go to the NBA next year, as far as we know, but I mean, do they try and get him for two years? As far as we know, there's nothing stopping them from getting from getting Imani Bates this year and then seeing what happens the year after. Uh, we also had the overtime elite uh, league that was started up, uh, that was announced uh, over the past you know month or two. Kevin Ali's going to be the coach. They're trying. They're saying they're going to pay every player like like six figures. You know, there's a lot of competition right now in that space the non-college basketball space, we already know that Australia has their system, and we already know these teams in Europe are willing to pay uh, as well. Um, so it, this is, it's a scary time, I think, for the G League Ignite. They need to hit on, on a major guy right now. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try and poach somebody that is either committed, like they did with Jason Nix, or a guy like Jane Hardy. If, or a junior, like Imani Bates. And I'll say this last thing on Bates, if uh, if it indeed it is a college and he decides to stay uh, and play uh, one year college basketball, I would I would love to see him playing at Texas. Um, I think that Chris Beard, there's a lot of momentum with that program. I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, the, uh, you know, you got to love the legacy of, you know, KD going there and, you know, yeah. this guy being the closest thing people feel like to being Kevin Durant. If he didn't also went to Texas, obviously a different coach, which is why Mac, you know, uh, uh, Rick Barnes in Tennessee feels like maybe he has a shot as well. That's why he's trying to get in the mix. But if, uh, if, if that is indeed where he goes, I think that that would be uh, super dope. I'm sure. Look, I'm sure Penny Hardaway uh, is telling him that, you know, he reminds him of himself, which is cat. <laughs> he told pretty much, I feel like he's told every recruit that he's ever recruited. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, according to the recruits, who it's say in interviews, yeah, Penny told me he reminded me, I reminded him of my of himself, and I'm like, come on now, I've heard that now with about six or seven guys in Memphis recruited. So, uh, but look, whatever works, if it gets Imani Bates to Memphis, uh, all power to you. Exactly. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, the Zags now. So Gonzaga, they may have lost national championship and the chance at an undefeated season. But the Zags already come to the next season as the favorites to win it all. And thanks to some big commitments, they uh, they certainly may be able to have that opportunity. So last month, 
They uh they got swingman five star Hunter Salas. They also nabbed number one overall player in the twenty twenty one class, Chet Holmgren. So with those two additions coming to Spokane and Mark Few's already deep roster, the Zags now come in as a powerhouse this season yet again. But the question I have, Kendall, is do you expect the Zags to be on this to be this kind of powerhouse in recruiting for the foreseeable future? You know, we always talk about, you know, what schools are the hot schools? How do you uh, make it, take advantage of your run? Does, you know, Mark seems like Mark Few certainly has done that with the Zags being a preeminent program for the last, you know, they've been preeminent program for 20 years. But in terms of like the elite elite for the last five years, definitely. Um, you know, how long do you see this run for the Zags? Because they, this is just not, even when they were recruiting well, they weren't getting, you know, two top 10 guys in that class. That's just never been Gonzaga. But between last year getting Jalen uh, Suggs and this year now Holmgren and Salas, it seems like it's a new day. Well, what I think is happening with Gonzaga is I think they're really starting to hit on, on they're starting to feel the effects of that national championship run that they had years ago with Nigel Williams-Goff and Shaman Karnowski, where they lost to North Carolina. And those guys who were, you know, maybe in middle school at the time or early high school or probably middle school that were watching that team probably didn't know who Gonzaga was. Watch college basketball, like every basketball fan uh, that was like, oh, okay, Gonzaga, you know, keep them on the radar. You now, now I've heard of them. And then now when you're the guy coming up, and you remember North Carolina and Gonzaga were playing the national title. And you see, again, you continue to see, like, Gonzaga's always in the Final Four. Or always in the, in, in the maybe not in the Final Four, but always in the tournament, always a high seed. Second weekend. You know, you really start. Done, like, seven years in a row, six, seven years in a row. They've, you know, constantly number one in the country. So, you know, the visibility yeah. is there. The visibility is there, and now they're really starting to capitalize on and, it. And, then the pipe, um, and also the NBA pipeline is now really kind of there now. You know, like yeah. you look at you know, Demonte Sabonis isn't isn't a, isn't a two-time NBA All-Star back-to-back years. Yeah, you know, you know, you can start Rui using Hach- money and saying, you know, look, our players have earned you know upwards of eighty million in the last five years, something crazy. I mean, Kyle Perry talks well, yeah, my players have earned a billion dollars in contracts. I'm like, you know, I don't even know what that means. I mean, you've had a lot of players, yes, they've earned a lot of money. I mean, that's not going to one player. So that's me, all right, but. But look, you, a player hears that, and that that is intriguing. It's like, all right, I want to be a part of that 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 situation too. So, um, yeah, I think the NBA part of it also is a big factor, uh, and I think that'll continue to be a big factor. You know, when you're talking about a guy like Jalen Suggs, you know, being if he ends up being the number one pick in the draft, he's not gonna be number one. But if he ends up being a top five pick, um, you know, now you're talking about a guy that guys are going to want to say, I want to be the next Jalen Suggs. And I could be the next Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga. I mean, as a Memphis fan, I saw it with Derrick Rose. I mean, I remember Karan Iverson was a five-star, and he said in an interview at one point when he committed to Memphis, uh, you know, why are you going to Memphis? And he, he talks about how, you know, D. Rose went there. And, you know, that he was like, yeah, I wanted to go to Kentucky to play for John Clive Harry, but that didn't work out, but Memphis was the next closest thing. You know, like, you're going to have a lot of guys that, you know, say that, you know, I want to play for Mark Few. I want to play at Gonzaga. So, yeah, I want to I be the next Jalen Suggs. So, and I think we've kind of already seen that a little bit with Hunter Salas and Chet Holmgren. So, 
Yeah, I think that this isn't something that is going to go away. What will go away. And look, this is a sad acknowledgement uh, for Nadaga fans, I'm sure. We may talk about this a little bit later. But look, Tommy Lloyd, obviously, top assistant, did decide to go to Arizona. Um, I'm fairly confident that I think their international pipeline is pretty much going to be gone. Doesn't mean they won't ever get an international guy again, but it won't be the, the it, it won't be the same. All the guys that they're going to really, really want to get are going to go to Aragon. Well, look, I mean, Pavel Zakharov, who had a, who, you know, was a big time recruit coming in. Uh, he just transferred. Um, Balo, uh, also a big time recruit. He just transferred. Those are two international prospects that the Zags really were excited about. Um, neither Sambo guy necessarily. We said. We thought we thought Sambo Zhang. Uh, yeah, you know, Zhang didn't even greatest get to Chinese it. prospect Yijian Lian yeah, committed to the Zaga in part because of the Rui factor, but also clearly in part because of Tommy Lloyd. And yeah. once Tommy Lloyd leaves, like, I'm going to the G League. Not, I mean, no disrespect to Sambo Zhang, but I don't know if him going to the G League is the right move, considering he's not like he's a five star guy. So Kai Soto do it. This past season, I don't know if they drafted, but, um, but from a, like from a relationship standpoint, does he does he still want to go to Gonzaga? You know, and if you don't want to go to Gonzaga, where are you going to go? So, yeah, no, that's that's tough. But yeah. at this point, yeah, they got mean, it. They don't need need to rely on it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly a concern potentially. I think they'll still keep it around. Um, I think that they've hit too much. They have too many connections. They have too much. Uh, their name carries too well overseas. Um, I, I think you'll see, you'll see them get some really good overseas players, but I think perhaps the, I mean, the, I mean for Gazaga, there's been a reliance on overseas players to compete. You know, when we say why have they been this top-notch team, it's been twofold. It's been the transfers, and it's been their international recruits. I mean, the American players they've, they've recruited over the last 10 years, uh, They've been very good players, but they, you know, but before Jalen Suggs, you weren't talking about a top five guy or top ten guy. You know, he'd be a guy they would get that they know is going to be a four-year kid that would develop into a really great player by their senior year. Um, but a lot of sometimes those guys weren't even the star players on the team. So, to me, there may be a shift where maybe you'll see them get more American players and they look more like a, a conventional program. But I still think that you'll see them still get uh, high-level recruits. And there are going to be players that are going to be touted internationally. And I think Gonzaga is going to be, you know, first in line for every single one of those guys if they want them. The question may be they might not need those guys anymore because they relied on them so much. It may be like, hey, man, they, they well, might have a great center think... they had this year. They're like, look, I mean, we're getting checked Holmgren. Like, I, it might not make sense to first recruit in line, a guy like that. And, and that's that's going to be a real test. We'll see if they'll be first in line again. They might be second in line, which is not a, not an issue. Because, but you know, Tommy Lloyd was the was the player getter overseas. Yeah, and was. now he's the head coach at Arizona. Yeah, which is a which is a blue blood program in the West Coast. It, it'll. I mean, we saw Kirk Kreisa. Yeah, the weather's the weather's a lot better. The weather's a lot better in Tucson than it is in Spokane. You know, it might be a little easier to sell that. Um, bigger school. You know, some guys don't aren't aren't you know aren't interested in that kind of stuff, obviously. But some guys are. But yeah, I mean, Tommy Lloyd's going to be a real factor in the West Coast. Um, it's not going to Gonzaga's not worried about that. They're, they're, again, they'll they'll be willing to lose a couple guys to Arizona 
uh, if it means you get more guys like Chad Holmgren and Hunter Salas. So what it means for them in the short term is, I mean, look, Chad Holmgren. I mean, <laughs> the guy who can't ignore the fact he's the number one player in the country. Uh, I mean, this is quite the accomplishment for your Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, I mean, we talked about him when they played, you know, his AAU program played against Imani Bates' AAU program. Um, and, you know, he was the best player on the floor. Uh, and it was a really a coming out party from the, for the for the country, uh, the basketball community, into who the Chet Holmgren guy is. When a lot of people were watching the tune in to see Imani Bates, um, yeah. you know, I mean Skip Bayless. I think, I think even the people who was tweeting about it. I think the people about who Green, I, Gonzaga. I think the people who were even looking at, who knew about Chet Holmgren but were watching the game were extremely skeptical because you see his frame and his size, and you're like. Is this guy really going to be able to be? Is he really the number one guy? I was one of the people making those same, you know, Kate points when we talked about it on this podcast, where I talked about I think he may be a little more raw. He's number one in terms of potential, but is he number one in terms of player? <laughs> After that game, there was no debate about whether or not he actually could hoop. Now he's a one hundred percent stud. Um, yeah, true basketball unicorn. I mean, guy seven foot one. That could legitimately play point guard and shooting guard. Like that's just I've never seen a player like that before. Has a pace to him, like a guard. Yeah, like it's not. But there have been bigs that can dribble. Anthony Davis can dribble, but he's not. You know, there's a whole yeah. Anthony Davis was a point guard in high school. Like, yeah, but was he ranked? You know, was he just <laughs> right, yeah. not ranking every day? But like, you know, he wasn't the number one point guard yeah. in the country. He wasn't going to Kentucky. To, he wasn't going to Kentucky to run the one. Let's just say that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, like Anthony Davis doesn't necessarily play like a point guard, but like Chet Holmgren, I'm not saying Chet Holmgren is Magic Johnson, but you know, he, he has a pace to him where he plays, he doesn't play sped up and he, he, he can run the pick and roll his handle again, handles almost legitimately like a guard. Uh, it's impressive stuff. And I think a lot of that is development. Cause I don't think he was like that two years ago, but I think he had maybe pieces of it. Yeah. But I think playing with Jalen Suggs really... You're playing with such a good point guard, a true point guard, mm-hmm. in every sense of the imagination, a true quarterback on the on the floor. I think he picked up so much of that from Jalen Suggs. I think Gonzaga's going to see that next year when he when he's there. I mean, Murphy's going to love Chet uh, Holmgren, and I'm sure he'll love Hunter Salas as well. Uh, yeah. But look, look out for that first game of the season. Uh, Duke plays Gonzaga. I mean, just a hellacious matchup on Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to be number one versus number two, almost certainly. Yeah. Um, depending, especially depending on what happens in the rest of the recruiting cycle, but that'll be a, that's a hell of a matchup. The number one, you know, according to ESPN, according to Draft Express, number one and two NBA draft guys in the country, number one and two recruits in the country, NBA draft prospects. We're talking about Powell, Banchero, and Chad Holmgren. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a great match. Yeah, I think that few even had dreams of maybe pairing Banchero and... Man, he, and, they and got Holmgren close. In, in, the, in, the, ...in the front court, so... I think that, if you ask Banchero, a, he might tell you, yeah, uh, yeah, if it wasn't Duke, it might have been Gonzaga. Yeah. Because you know, so. it was really going to UW, the way that the way that, that team's a mess. Yeah, I know. lost every game in the Pac-12, or was he going to go to Gonzaga? You know, I have questions. Yeah, yeah no, it should be a good matchup, and it's, it's a good segue because... Uh, while most of the guys are committed or even signed to their schools, there are several intriguing prospects still left on the board 
who are the guys in their in the recruitments that you're still following very closely? The guy to me, you know, I mentioned Jaden Hardy earlier. I mean, he's the best player available. I you could argue. I, I think I can make a strong case he's the best player in the country. Uh, but he's not going to play college basketball teams, and that's unfortunate. Um, because I mean, he'd be the best player on any team in the country, but uh, he's so advanced. He's like he probably doesn't even need to play college basketball. But the guy I'm really paying attention to is Patrick Baldwin, junior recruitment. Um, he's another top five player in the country. Kid out of Wisconsin. What makes his recruitment obviously so unique is that the two schools that are that, that are heavily in the mix for Pat Baldwin are his hometown Milwaukee. Panthers and Duke and you ask yourself why is he considering Milwaukee you know I know he might be from Milwaukee but you know Chad Holmgren is from Minnesota and he wasn't thinking about being a gopher right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know why is his dad played in Minnesota like why why is he why is this guy considering going to Milwaukee well his dad the coach of uh Milwaukee is Pat Baldwin senior so you know, that really adds another layer to that recruitment. Yo, imagine and, imagine the conversations in that, like, dinner table. Where, like, you know, your dad who's the coach of the local school that's trying to recruit you. And he's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. got a text from Coach K. He says, what's up? Like, what do you think Pat Bowen says massive, when, he, when he hears something like that? Like, like I'm, massive, I'm, I'm, he's recruiting. Um, he has to, he's in the recruiting battle of his life for his own yeah. kid against Coach yeah. K. I mean, yeah. like, what kind of? That's a crazy story. Yeah, it's, it's got it's got serious sitcom potential, serious, you know. Yeah. Movie. Like, yeah, like <laughs> I love that. Show. I love the show Young Rock. Like I, I would love to hear a, you know Young Pat Baldwin show. Probably It'd probably be hilarious. Right. Because exactly. that's a hell of a story. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I can just imagine like say Young Rock or everybody hates Chris. Like a show about Pat Baldwin that would be a ridiculous show, but. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be, a, that's quite the recruiting story. And then when you think about Duke, a lot of people thought he was going to go to Duke for the last year because he's from Wisconsin. He played on his AAU team with Jalen Johnson and Jamian Breakfield, both guys who played at Duke last year. Um, and people assumed, oh, so, you know, they all played on the same AAU team. Duke gets two of those guys. They're going to get Pat Baldwin next year. Despite the fact that his dad goes Milwaukee, that doesn't always mean anything. But if you saw the way the season played out for Duke, you will have noticed that Jalen Johnson opted out in February. It was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. If you follow the transfer portal, Damian Brickfield was in the transfer portal and is now going to Ole Miss. So, you know, this guy's two AAU teammates played at Duke and are no yeah, longer there. Yeah. What, yeah, yeah one guy bounced season before going to the NBA, and the other guy decides to transfer. Is Pat Baldwin really going to go to Duke? It's not impossible, but I don't know. I would love to see him play at Milwaukee. We, I, I've, I've been waiting. It's been a long time since we had the five star. I don't know if we. What's the example of the five star? Like, no doubt, surefire, one and done guy that goes to a legitimate small school, mid major. We talked about McCord Maker last year. That was that was a that was a good yeah. one, I mean, but honestly, he wasn't. You know, like I don't think he didn't play, but I mean Mitchell Robinson was. Mitchell Robinson was a good was one. A one you know, guy. we thought that he would Western be. Kentucky. Yeah, we thought that he would be one and done. He wasn't 
wasn't a top five player in the country. He wasn't, good, yeah, he wasn't as highly touted as Baldwin, but, but he was a, no doubt a five star and arguably. A, and then um, Stansbury went and got Charles Bassey a couple of years later, yeah. you know, to make up for that, which is another good one. Um, and Charles Bassey's been really good at Western Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rick Stansbury, you know, <laughs> uh, as Jeff Goodman likes to say, the smart money in recruiting is on Rick Stansbury. <laughs> Whatever that. But. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know of the example. I mean, we, again, we hope that a guy like Josh Christopher would have went to Howard last year. They ended up with McCord Maker, uh, which didn't go as, as well as people would have hoped in the pandemic season. But, um, yeah, this would be a legitimate top five player in the country, almost surefire one and done, going to a school in Milwaukee that doesn't have a, in, in the normal year, doesn't really have a puncher's chance of winning a tournament game. Ty Ty Washington uh, is another kid who decommitted from Creighton uh, after the whole um, Greg McDermott situation, <laughs> you know, before the NCAA tournament. Uh, and he had played himself. He I, he was a guy that was a four-star, you know, when he committed to Creighton uh, and played himself this last season into a five-star recruit and is now on the board. Um where he commits will be fascinating as well. You know, Arizona's trying to get him with Tommy Lloyd, LSU, uh, Kentucky. So um, that'll be another one, interesting one to follow. For sure. Now, with the rule this year that players could transfer without having to sit out a year, the transfer portal has really become a key element uh, to recruiting. When it comes to the commitments that we've already seen, uh, which one of these guys are you uh, are you actually uh really kind of like looking at it and saying this guy may be a huge impact next year. The, 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 the transfer to me that, that, that caught my attention was, well, first, look, I'm a Memphis fan. So Earl Timberlake leaving Miami, uh, he was a five star who just, I mean, he had a, he had a dreadful, you know, freshman season, injury riddled, didn't really get a chance to really get off the ground. So, look, it's a great uh, reclamation project, I think, for Memphis uh, to see if he, they can get him healthy and get him, you know, to the player he was, obviously, a senior in high school. But um, the guy that's interesting to me is Adam Miller, a uh, kid from Illinois who decided to transfer to LSU. Um, obviously, there's been the buzz surrounding the Illinois coaching situation with Orlando Antigua going to Kentucky. Uh, we presume uh, it seems like another assistant, Chin Coleman, who's their Chicago guy, essentially, is also going to Kentucky. So Cal Perry, clearly no love for Brad Underwood um, and what he's built. But Adam Miller was, I believe he started every game for Illinois this season in the backcourt with Io Desungu, was a five-star guy coming out of high school. And I thought he played really well. He did, wasn't the lead guard, but he, he signed up to play with Io DeSumo. Like, I don't know what you wanted. <laughs> you weren't going to get the ball in your hands playing with Io DeSumo. Um, obviously, I know he probably felt like, you know, I'm not going to be the – I'm also not going to be the point guard next year uh, because they already have their point guard situation uh, figured out as well. But, look, I think he, had a, he was a guy that had a chance after given what they lost with – Coburn and uh, losing Io DeSumo to be a real number one option for them. And for him to then go and leave, enter the transfer portal was tough for them. And him ending up at LSU 
uh, I think that Will Wade sold him on, well, I don't know. Will Wade could have sold him on a million things. But <laughs> aside Will Wade, from a back- Will Wade may have just sold him on whole cold, hard cash. This is me. I'm, I'm going to say it. I, you know, I, I'm going to say it. I don't care. We podcast. Like, care, we have man. tapes. The tapes are the tapes, dog. The he gave him a tapes. strong, a strong offer. But Yo. from a basketball perspective, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that look, he sold him on what Cam Thomas did last year. You know, I know we talked about the NBA draft a little bit, uh, you know, earlier this week, not not off air, and you talked about how you were very intrigued by Cam Thomas and what he did for LSU this past season. Has to be intriguing for a guy Adam Miller who's going to be playing the same two spot. Uh, not to ISO score that Cam Thomas is, but maybe he is. He just didn't play that role at Illinois because he didn't have the ball in his hands as much. He's more of a spot up shooter. Uh, so we'll see if he has another uh, layer to his game. Yeah, the one thing you can say about Will Wade is I do feel like he has empowered his offensive players to go get the money in terms of just go get buckets, be aggressive. Oh. get up and down the court. I thought this was another uh, reference. To no, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean it was like a, it was a pun, but it was you know it was it was definitely a double entendre. But it was more uh, in terms of him as an actual basketball coach. So, so I, I could see maybe him saying that. Look, you know, Illinois, you know, we've been a team that kind of had to share the sugar next year. You would think that he would kind of be the guy, but they they have a strong team coming back next year. You know, Cabello is going to have the ball in his hands. He's yes. He, I mean, he looks like a real player. I mean, I really yeah. like that kid. Shout that out to him. coming back. Yeah, shout out Long Island Lutheran, obviously New York area. Yeah, but Blue uh, hot. <laughs> but um, but to me, you know, Miller may say, "Look, man, I, I can go down there to Baton Rouge and, and get all the shots I want, and we're going to play a lot more of an exciting brand of basketball." Maybe that's what he decided. I think uh, for me, you know, the two guys to me, I look at Kellen Grady going from Davidson to Kentucky, Kentucky. Going through a real rough time, you know. Um, obviously, they had a rough season, and I think there's even been a hangover from obviously the you know the, the tragic passing of Terrence Clark. We got to make sure we mention um, Clark, who we talked about a bunch on this podcast. Obviously, passing away in a in a car crash. He was you know slated to be in the NBA draft. Certainly would have gotten drafted. Probably would have been the first round pick. All that, unfortunately, uh, went away. So there will be kind of a dark cloud over UK this season. But I think there was initial excitement of someone like Kellen Grady coming in. You know, Grady, you talk about those, you know, big-time recruits that were, you know, went to mid-major. Certainly he wasn't a non-American type of guy. But Grady was a a touted recruit when he signed on to Davidson. He kind of was, to I think for a lot of people, looked at as the Steph Curry, um, like, you know, Steph Curry effect, you know? Like, it was like, you know, Steph Curry and what he accomplished – Allow Davidson to get this kit, and Grady yeah. had a great career at at, at uh Davidson. You know, uh, they might have only made tournament once or twice during his time there, maybe once. There's but... a feeling I think that he stagnated a little bit. Yeah, like and it he had an excellent fair. freshman season, and people thought, oh, this guy's gonna be a lottery pick yeah. year too. And he kind of was the same player. It felt like freshman to senior year. Yeah, and that's and that's a fair assessment I think for Grady. But what I will say is, um. What Kentucky has lacked is stability. And what they've also lacked, I think, is um, offensive, an offensive go-to guy on the wing who you felt like you could consistently go to to get buckets. Um, they've had guards. they had big men. But really, since Malik Monk, I think they've missed that kind of player. 
I think Grady coming in. Uh, they've had guys, but guys, the guys haven't. You know, you know, Clark struggled. He was injured last year. Um, we know BJ Watson had a miserable season for the most part. So, they, they, Grady coming in as a seasoned veteran who knows how to score, playing in in in, uh, in Cal system and and having the knowledge that he's had uh, playing under Bob uh, McHill for all those years. I'm excited to see how he does. And of course, Walker Kessler going from UNC to Auburn. You know, Auburn. I think you know Bruce. Pearl, well, Kessler's an interesting player to me because Bruce Pearl doesn't usually recruit a guy like Kessler. Like, you know, Bruce Pearl seems like to get up and down, like the press. So that doesn't really, it's not really conducive to having a bunch of seven footers. But you could argue maybe that this is like maybe makes them more dangerous that they have a guy now underneath in the paint who can eat guys up. And I think a guy who's motivated. I mean, Kessler, you know, for whatever reason, things were not working out early on at UNC. And he saw by the end of the year, man, that guy, I don't know what happened to him, but then he started to see, oh, now I know why this guy was a top 10 player coming in and why he was a five, five-star recruit. And then he bounced. So now I think that's an interesting story of what what is Walker Kessler? Uh, we'll know um, next season, but then him going to Auburn, I think is even an, an additional uh, storyline because that's not the kind of place that I expect to recruit a player like Kessler. So I'm excited to see how those two guys do, how, how those two guys do. In their next, uh, in their next ventures, I think another guy, real quick, is uh, a kid named a kid, a kid Justin Powell, who was at Auburn, uh, who was a big time shooter. Uh, they thought he'd be playing with Sharif Cooper, um, and for the first two months of the season, he had to play the point guard, even though he's really more of a two guard uh, who could really shoot the basketball. He decided to transfer. Uh, he also dealt with some injury issues when Cooper, Cooper came back, so he never really even got to play together. Uh, but he decided to transfer. Uh, all these transfers, I'm just like, a lot of these situations, I'm like, I don't even know why. But they, they decided to answer the portal. We'll never really know. But, um, and what's interesting about him is that he decided to go in conference and transfer to Tennessee. So now Tennessee gets a shooter in Justin Powell that um, I feel like they haven't had. Uh, really in the Rick Barnes era. Um, you know, they've had good guards, they've had good basketball players, but you get a high-level shooter in Powell um, along with Kenny Chandler who they're bringing in next year and, um, you know, you're bringing back Josiah Jordan-James and, you know, this is, is going to be a good Tennessee team. So uh, that's another team you're going to have to uh, pay attention to. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I think shooting has really been their weakness. You know, it's been the only thing. It's yeah. been the only way you beat, you know, Tennessee to me is you yeah. force them to shoot threes and just pray that they don't go in. So, uh, yeah. Now they have a zone buster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, transfers that are left still on the docket. Who are guys you look at and say, uh, you know, you're intrigued to see where this guy will end up and, and guys you think are still have great value because there's plenty of them out there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the one thing you'll learn when you look at you look at who's in the transfer portal. You're like, man, there's a lot of guys still on the still on the board. Um, I'm intrigued by I'm intrigued by uh, I mean, look, Marcus Bagley's obviously very interesting because another guy didn't expect him to enter the enter the the portal, uh, but he also entered the draft. I really don't know what he'd be looking for if he decided to transfer. Um, at a school at Arizona State. I would imagine he would have been one of the go-to guys on a team that would have been pretty that would have been pretty decent. Um, now entering the portal, I don't. Even, I feel like he's a guy that could go anywhere. You know, he's good enough to play anywhere. 
Um, so there's plenty of teams that I'm sure will be going after him. Um, I a guy a a, a, a a kind of a not a sleeper name because this guy was a five star recruit, but uh, Bryce Thompson, um, a kid from Kansas who decided to transfer uh, from Oklahoma. He's from Oklahoma. I wonder if he decides to stay in conference as well and go to a school like OK State, where they had all the success that they had with Kate Cunningham this past season, or does he decide to go to OU, where obviously we got Porter Moser um, and the success that he had at Loyola now coming down to, 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 to Norman. We'll see what he does, but he's a guy that people thought would really be a bucket getter for Kansas last year, and just very raw. You know, you can tell he's not, you know, not ready to dominate the college basketball level, you know, which you, you get sometimes. And similar, it kind of reminds me of the Quentin Grimes situation. Where Quentin Grimes went to Kansas as a five-star, wasn't able to dominate right away, and then went to a lower, not even a lower level, I mean, a little bit of a lower level, but just a school where the pressure wasn't as intense as it was in Kansas, and he became, you know, a conference player of the year. So, um I think I look for something similar for Bryce Thompson if he decides to leave the Big 12 or even if he decides to stay in the Big 12. You're talking about a guy I think that could be uh, really, really good. No, yeah, I think uh, Thompson will be an interesting player considering uh, the hot bill that he had coming out of high school. For me, you know, Marcus Carr from Minnesota, um, really dynamic guard. He was kind of doing everything for Minnesota. You know, if he can get to a program that uh, a little more stable, a little more help, I think that he could really help a lot because the guy is a fearless scorer. He's strong, good ball handler, good passer. Um, he's just a good player, you know. Uh, he's kind of just stuck in a bad situation. And you love to see those uh, – to me, I love to see those guys who get out of bad situations where they're great players. They're never going to be able to, you know, break through at Minnesota considering how tough the Big Ten is. You know, if he can get to a contender somewhere, he could really change and make a big difference for our program if someone uh, ends up with him. And I'm also, uh, uh, say, uh, Quincy Guerrier, also from Syracuse. Syracuse went on a really great run in the NCAA tournament. Guerrier, a little bit of an undersized big man, but he's uh, he's very uh, jumpy and bouncy around the basket. Good hands. He's actually displayed a little bit of a three-point shot this past season. Um, I, I'm curious to see where he goes and, and how he can impact a team in the front court. So, those would be, to me, those are two guys that I see still on the board that – I think could really help a team if they go to the right situation. Um, let's talk about also uh, the wrap up here. These uh, coaching hires. Um, what, what coaching hires do you look at that intrigued you? We had a, pl- a pretty active coaching carousel. I mean, we had two blue bloods that had openings. Several other majors. Well, three, I guess. Yeah, I would say three, maybe. Um, because I forgot. I was what is it, who are the three for all the I fans out there? All the, all the Cincinnati <laughs> fans that are like, we're a blue blood, right? Yeah, Wes I, Miller going to Tennessee. I included Indiana, North Carolina, and Arizona. That was in my head. Okay, uh, I forgot Arizona when I first mentioned too. But I, sorry, Marquette fans. Yeah, sorry, Marquette. Uh, I would not count <laughs> you guys. But um, but we had a lot of blue bloods and then a lot of big programs. I mean, even the ones that aren't. I mean, again, Texas and OU those are big basketball programs. I know they're yeah. no football more often. Marquette is not a small school, so. So uh, what what a coaching hire do you think is uh most, was most intriguing to you? You know I talked about Tommy Lloyd earlier, so I'll 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 leave him out of this. But that one obviously is very interesting. 
Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Mike Woodson to Indiana. You know, to me, like Mike Woodson. You know, look, the Brad Stevens stuff was talked about. Uh, as a Celtics fan, there was a there was a moment. EJ remembers the day. There was a day where I was like, man, I think Stevens going to Indiana. I don't know what Celtics are gonna do. The season's been a complete mess. There was a day there where I thought he was going, and it just didn't happen, and I'm glad it didn't. Um, the rumor now from Wolves was that he, he was offered $70 million and he turned it down. But Mike Woodson, you know, that was a, a hire that I think people were, were confused by. Um, you had the, 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 the subsequent news that they were also bringing Thad Mata in as sort of in, a, in an administrative role. You know, a bit of a desk job, but you know, it's fine when you consider the fact that that Mata, you know, can really, you know, kind of teach Mike Woodson the college game. Mike Woodson knows basketball. Uh, you know, he knows just as much, if not way more, basketball than even that Mata knows when it comes to X's and O's. But when it comes to, you know, knowing the right people, especially in the state of Indiana, uh, this is the guy that when he when he went from Xavier to to Ohio State was able to get Mike Conley and Greg Oden out of the state of Indiana. Greg Oden, the first best prospect since LeBron. Uh, <laughs> he was able to get that guy to leave the state of Indiana and go to Ohio State. So that Mana knows how to get guys. Um, got a guy like D'Angelo Russell from Louisville to go to Ohio State as well, You know, which Louisville isn't Indiana necessarily, but it's very, very close. Um, so I feel like from a recruiting standpoint, Mike Woodson, how much does his name carry? It carries for really old Indiana fans, you know, and it carries for, you know, Knicks fans, I guess, and Hawks fans. Uh, so I'm sure he might be able to actually get guys in, in, in the Atlanta region. He might be able to get guys in, in the New York region. Um, how well does his name carry nationally? We'll find out. And does that even matter? You know, like, because Leonard Hamilton isn't a household name, but Leonard Hamilton is a hell of a recruiter. Yeah, and Leonard Hamilton still player. gets dudes. It don't matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not yeah. the crazy. He's not the you know the most wild personality. He's not um, you know a household name, but he's stable to get guys. So, um, what does that even matter for Mike Woodson? And again, from a coaching perspective, he comes in in, in day one. You would think will be a top four coach in the Big Ten, you know, and that might yeah. be selling him short. So, yeah. yeah, if Indiana gets players, which they were able to keep Trace Jackson Davis um, and and Christian Lander for this yeah. past season, they just got a, a commitment from a late kid this year uh, in Tamir Bates, who the four-star decommitted from Texas uh, and is now going to, to Indiana. You know, Mike Woodson might be cooking with gas. We'll see, oh, yeah. you know. We'll see whether or not he'll be able to get the top guys, but this I thought that was a, a shrewd hire by Indiana. It was confusing, I think, initially, but once you start reading, you know, reading the reasons why they brought him in and you start yeah. seeing some of the stuff, it starts to make more sense. Yeah, I, I, I know Mike Woodson was my pick. I mean, I, I agree. I think that um, Woodson, and one thing I don't think you really mentioned in that whole thing, too, was, you know, Woodson's represented by CAA. and Very close I, to the that to that agency yeah he's very close he's been representing for a very long time there's a lot of connections there and you know i think of you know i'm a knicks fan so i'm i'm seeing you know worldwide west 
you know, bear hugging, uh, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau and remembering that, you know, Thibodeau was bear hugging what Mike Woodson just a couple of weeks ago after he had already accepted the job. You know, he had showed up saw, front, sitting front row at Madison Square Garden at Knicks game. I mean, that's that stuff matters, man. Like, yeah, it, it matters on the high school level. He was in, he was in the Knicks family box with yeah. all the CAA guys, the Leon Rose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was, he was like Mike Woodson. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who may think that that don't mean nothing. I'm here to tell you, that means a lot. Yes, it means a lot, Look, not just in the NBA, you know who, in college basketball. You know who the coach that Leon Rose and World War West are most closest to in college basketball? It's John Kyle Perry. Right. And what has that been able to get John Kyle Perry? I could probably... I, I, I wouldn't know because a lot of the stuff is, is, is under the table. A lot of stuff is not public information. Right. But I can tell you that I can guarantee you that at least ten of the guys that John Calipari got that we know as five star one and done guys are largely due to his relationship with Leon Rose and World Wide West. Of course. Uh, so the idea that now just look, I mean Carl and Towns and Devin Booker are yeah. two of were two of his most high profile clients. Exactly. So. And and look and and now their second favorite coach in college basketball is now Mike Woodson. So yeah, he's coaching I, at Indiana, like it's right. not like he's coaching at you know Butler. Yeah, exactly. You know, so Indiana, you may may look out, man. You may look out. I'm not gonna you know jinx it. You know, kind of. There was a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of optimism when this hire was made, but I actually thought it was a pretty solid hire given where Indiana is, which is. Nowhere. I mean, they're just like we've talked about it on the podcast before. I mean, they're not relevant. So, uh, Woodson, and then to me, for, so to me, like the connections and stuff will help with recruiting. And then I believe any NBA coach comes to college basketball is a is he's top three in his conference. Just walking again. Look at Leonard. Just Hamill. walking in. I don't care who's in it. You coaching the NBA? If you've won. You better than yeah. most of the coaches coaching college basketball. Yeah. So like so so that to me is an interesting situation. And I think it has a lot of upside. The other major hire I thought that was interesting, I had Tommy Lloyd too, and, and we did talk a lot about Lloyd. But the other one I would say is Hubert Davis at North Carolina. Because uh, I feel like North Carolina kind of is in a weird position right now. I mean, they've the bottom didn't completely fall out by the end for Roy Williams. But if you do, if now that we know this was the end of Roy Williams' career, when we look back at the last three years since he won a national championship, it don't look that great. It don't. It don't look that great. You had the Nasir Little season. You had it, the Cole Anthony it, season. It looks mighty suspect. Like uh, I guess in our eyes, we we didn't think he was going to retire, so we were like, "Oh, in a couple bad years, he'll be back." But now, when you look at okay, that was the end. Now you see how long that end was in terms of how long they struggled, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Hubert Davis may have a little bit of work cut out for him here. You know. They, they get players. It's Carolina. It recruits itself. Anybody who coaches there gets players. But what happened there for where they came, where they went from being a national, literally the national champion, national championship appearances back-to-back years to and just like look, a regular ACC team, which is what they've been. And so Hubert Davis I, coming in, he was part of that staff. So I, 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 yeah. I'm very curious to see how he gets that thing turned around. I mentioned this on our podcast when we talked about Hubert Davis getting hired and, you know, the similarities to what you see in college football when, you know, Bob Stoops left Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley took over or when, um, you know, Urban Meyer left Ohio State. Well, he left, you know, <laughs> got kicked out. 
of Ohio State and Ryan Day takes over, um, how they were able to hit the ground running initially because there was already a talent base and the program has the, the, the cachet that it has. But what I think those guys did so well and why Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley have two programs that are in the top five right now in college football is they evolved from their mentor, their the, the predecessor's, you know, formula. They took their formula. They took a lot of aspects of it, and they evolved it. Lincoln Riley's not running the exact same. He's running a similar office because he's the office coordinator. But now they're actually getting five. He's, he's building his programs around, around five-star or elite transfer quarterbacks in a way that Bob Seuss was never, never worried about the quarterback position like that. Um, you know, Ryan Day is now running a different offense at Ohio State than Urban Meyer ran. Despite the fact that Urban Meyer, he was yeah, he was an offensive coordinator there. Now they're running a different offense. So when I think about college basketball, I look at Huber Davis and I hope that Huber Davis doesn't take this job and say I'm just going to do everything that Roy Williams did. Because like you said, it wasn't working at the championship level. It was working enough to where they weren't going to stink. Yeah, it was working um, good enough to get an eight or nine seed in the tournament. You know. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe you get a game in the first round. Maybe you know. But it was a it was a it was a first round exit. You know, it was, a, it was a first but if you're looking across Tobacco Road, and you see that's what's going to be so fascinating about this, this, this Hubert Davis situation because we've been looking so long at like a Roy Williams, Mike Kishevsky, like that's what Tobacco Road has been. Yeah, and like, like next Roy season, Williams is like one of the few people you look at in college basketball would say he's an equal to, to Coach Cat. He's an absolute equal. Yeah, like there is no there. <laughs> There's no qualms about that statement. There's almost right. no one you can say that about besides maybe him, you and know, Cal. now Kyle Harry. Yeah. That's, and maybe that's, Self. Yeah. So like, the, those are maybe the only guys. And maybe, and maybe Izzo. Those would be the only guys. Yeah, maybe Izzo. And even Beheim. I'm like, I don't know if he's an equal. I'm not saying. I don't think he, I don't think he is. I yeah, agree. I think he might be, especially now, I think he might be a rung below. Yeah. But, like, now you're going from that to Hubert Davis. And, that's yeah. a yeah. It's a guy who's never been a head coach before. Yeah. So that's what's going to be so fascinating. It's not to say Hubert Davis. It can be anybody that's coming right. and being a first year head coach. It could be, you know, again Penny Hardaway. It could have been, you know, if if the if they went and got Luke Walton to be the coach, I would have been like, yeah. this is like a guy I don't know anything about this guy yeah. as a head coach, and now this guy is going to be coaching against. He's going to be looked at on the same level as Coach K and yeah. expected to be as successful as Coach K at Duke. So it's going to be tough. It's yeah. going to be a tough job. Um, it's why those jobs, when a guy you're replacing the the the, the legend, is always tough. Yeah. But it's particularly tough when the legend is still across Tobacco Road. Yeah. The, he's, he's still getting the number two and three guy in the class. You know that he, he's still he still got it. You know that that's what yeah. makes it even more uh, of, of a challenge. There. The one, the one wild card I want to throw out there, smaller smaller hire was Penn State going and hiring my guy Michael Shrewsbury who was an assistant at Purdue most yeah. recently but before that was long or the long time Brad Stevens apprentice was with him for the Celtics was with him with the Celtics for the last five or six years prior to his time in Purdue uh coach Tatum and Brown and Smart and Isaiah Thomas and all those guys and before that obviously was with him at Butler Michael Shrewsbury is a smart, smart dude. And Penn State basketball, I mentioned this when 
they when they got rid of uh, Pat Chambers, that first of all, talk about you know, you know, <laughs> addition by subtraction. No disrespect to Pat Chambers, but well, I don't know. I'm not gonna say no. I'm not gonna say no disrespect to Pat Chambers, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say nothing. Not, I'm just gonna say nothing and be kind to Pat Chambers today. I'm yeah, exactly. You just like no comment. But <laughs> <laughs> but Mike Shrewsbury, um, I, I you know I told you when they when they when they when they when they got rid of Pat Chambers that I thought Penn State was a bit of a sleeping giant, considering the the weight as you know as someone who lives in Pennsylvania, the weight that the the Penn State University name has in the state. Yeah. That. Even although in basketball circles it may not run as strong as it does in football, certainly. there are still people. It certainly doesn't. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, it's not a may. It certainly does not. Yeah, one hundred percent. There are still not. people in the state where if you are a an elite basketball player, one of the first schools that you should be considering is Penn State. Yeah, Penn State and, called it. it when Penn State called it, it means something, whether you go there or not. If you, right. Yeah, you know, you lived in Pennsylvania even not longer than I have, but I lived there yeah. obviously for a long time as well. You feel it. It's different. It's totally different yeah. than you wouldn't know it if you don't live in the state. So and it, it, it's just a matter of getting the right guy in there. And maybe they have. There are legitimate hoopers in the state of Pennsylvania. 100%. Yeah. This isn't, you know, we're not talking about, the, we're not talking about Iowa. No disrespect to Iowa basketball. <laughs> Iowa actually has a pretty decent basketball yeah. pipeline as well. But, you know, obviously you have the Philly pipeline, which Penn State hasn't really been able to capitalize on much of. They got a couple of guys like Tony Carr, who ended up being an NBA guy recently. I believe he's from Philly. But, you know, a kid like Jalen Duran, Penn State should have been on his top 10. I, I, they may have, Were they on his top 10? He just released it, and I don't think they were. Yeah, but if they know. were, actually, he might've, they might have been on his top 10. Okay. But that might, again, that, that just shows you. Like, Penn State with a new coach who had two weeks to recruit Jalen Duran, and now they're in his top 10. Not because he loves Michael Shrewsbury. It's because it's Penn State. So you're not going to leave them off the list. If you're a kid like Jalen Dern, Cam Reddish, they were on his final list. You want to change that from on the final list to being able to get those guys. Like Anthony Edwards was able to, like Tom Cream was able to get Anthony Edwards. And once that happens, and don't be, and don't overlook the fact that Michael Shrewsbury hired as one of, as a part of his staff, Brian Snow. Who's a recruiting expert from Two Four Seven Sports? He hired him as his "quote unquote" director of recruiting. I don't know what that means, but Brian Snow is going to be just as connected as anybody when it comes to knowing AAU directors and things across the country. So, don't be surprised if Penn State's an NCAA tournament team in a couple and, of years. And just to be clear, Penn State was indeed on his list. That top eleven included Villanova, which again, Pennsylvania, any kid Villanova is going to be on there. Michigan, Miami, Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, UCLA, uh, NBL, uh, the G League, Memphis, and the Nittany Lions. So, at least it doesn't have the German flag and the Chinese flag. Like it did for, uh, <laughs> Michael Foster, where I was like, "All right, so that guy's never playing college basketball." <laughs> when I see ten schools and four of them are country, yeah, that country flags in there. That's not good. Um, Man, uh, so good to be back, Kendall, talking uh, college basketball, high school recruiting. Again, if you want to uh, continue to hear these conversations, make sure you subscribe to the channel, New Generation Media on YouTube. Make sure you follow us uh, also on our uh, audio channels. We are obviously a podcast on New Generation Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. 
again, I, you don't see too many people doing high school basketball, recruiting in-depth analysis and commentary like we are doing here at New Generation Media. And if you want to keep enjoying it, make sure you keep it locked here. Again, hit that subscribe button to get more of these podcasts. And, of course, uh, check out our audio podcast as well. Um, but thank you guys so much for checking us out, man. We'll be back hopefully in another month to talk some more college basketball, high school basketball. This was episode eight of The Uncommitted. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.